That too, okay. Happy Easter, good morning. I am really excited and when I get really excited, I get really loud, so I apologize in advance. Um, today, historically speaking, is the greatest day the world has ever seen. Today marks the completion of God's rescue plan where we can know and be with God through Jesus Christ. Jesus dying on the cross and raising from the dead allows us to have new life through him. See, in the beginning of time, God created a perfect world. Everything we see in it, the sky, the oceans, the plants, the mountains, the valleys. He made the galaxies, planets, and every single star at night. He made animals, flying, crawling, buzzing, hopping, and swimming. And then he finally made his favorite part, people. People that were made in the likeness of God. And the plan was that God's people would live together with him in his perfectly crafted world forever. No pain, no sadness, no problems. But it didn't take long for people to mess things up. Sin entered the world and people could no longer survive in the presence of God, leaving them to their sinful ways and hurting one another. But here is where the rescue plan comes into play. We read in the Jesus Storybook Bible, which is the pictures that you're seeing, God said, this will not always be so. I will come to rescue you. And when I do, I will get rid of the sin and the dark and the sadness that you let in here. I'm coming back for you. And he would. One day, God himself would come. And this is what we see lived out in the life of Jesus. He is God here in the flesh. And Jesus lived a perfect life and then was killed on the cross as an innocent man, representing the final sacrifice for all sin for every single one of us. And then the best part of the story, we read in Matthew 28. Here's what it says. After the Sabbath... At dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. Jesus beat the very thing that none of us can, sin and death, and he rose from the dead. And because of this, we can personally know God, be in a relationship with God, just like in the very beginning how things were originally meant to be. This is the best and most hopeful news we could ever hear. But not only do we get to have a relationship, 
this meaningful interaction with the creator of the world, we also get so many bonuses from that relationship. Think about it. If you have a friend that is a doctor, you probably text them pictures of weird rashes on your kids and ask for their opinion. If you have a friend that's a mechanic, they're the first person you call when your car breaks down. When you have a relationship with the creator of the world, you have access to an unlimited supply of hope, no matter the situation you find yourself in. And this is something that the Apostle Paul understood really well. He had been shipwrecked a few times, attacked by people, attacked by poisonous snakes. He was thrown in jail just because he wanted to tell people about Jesus. But no matter his circumstance, he always had hope because he understood that his connection with God brought more significance to his life than he could ever imagine. And in his letter to the Ephesians, Paul writes a prayer for God's people, for us, that we too would be able to see the hope to which we're called. And that's what we're going to look at today. Ephesians 1, 18 through 20. There's a Bible in front of you if you'd like to follow along. Here's what we read. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. For some of us, hearing the Easter story again is refreshing. It's a great reminder of the relationship that we have with Jesus. But life is hard. Life is disappointing. It is heartbreaking. As John mentioned, our church finding itself in an incredibly heartbreaking situation. For some of us this morning, we're endlessly in, ho in the hospital with a sick child or a loved one, and we're wondering if things are ever going to change. For others of us, we are riddled with mental health issues, and we just want to see a glimmer of hope and happiness again. Some of us are tirelessly lonely, juggling the needs of everyone else around us, desperate for a break and some real connection. Being a follower of Jesus has never been promised to come without difficulty. Honestly, it's maybe more guaranteed that you'll experience difficulty. But there is a way that we can live out our Christian faith called to an abundant life of hope through God awakening us to our great calling, the richness of his love, and his unbeatable power. And this hope, it is not general hopefulness. Like try really hard, put on a smile, fake it till you make it. But it is hope in God where even in the darkest seasons, we don't tarnish. But for us to know this hope, 
We have to do more than just show up at an Easter service. We have to pray what Paul prayed. That the eyes of our hearts would be opened. That what we think we know to be true about God wouldn't just stop at knowledge. That deep within our hearts, we would have an awakening to know the hope we are called to live out rooted in who he calls us to be, rich in his love and connected to his unbeatable power. And I want to pray for that for us today. Does that sound good? Let's do it. Holy Spirit, would you bring our awareness to your presence with us right now? And we pray this morning the words of Paul, that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened in order that we may know the hope to which you have called us. That this Easter morning, we would understand the significant life that we get to live because of the resurrection of Jesus. That today, like in this exact hour, we would see and experience your call over our lives, the love that you've lavished on us, and the power that you have placed in us as your children. Come, Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, so let's start with this concept of hope. So typically, we say to ourselves, I hope I get an A on my homework. I hope my children stop fighting. I hope my business takes off. I hope I can pay my bills. This is general hopefulness for a change in a current circumstance. And this isn't a bad thing or something that we don't necessarily pray for, but it's a temporary kind of hopeless, uh, hopefulness. But when we become followers of Jesus, our hope is no longer in small changes of circumstances. Our hope is in what we know to be true about God. That he is kind. That he is faithful. That he is just. That he keeps all of his promises. That he is working out everything in our lives, every single detail for the good. But more than that, when we become a follower of Jesus, it's not just, oh, yay, I get to go to heaven now. Scripture tells us that we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within our hearts. And this is the first installment which promises the future payment in full. The Holy Spirit within us is God's presence and his guidance in our lives today. In the immediate it is giving us future access. It's giving us access to that future kingdom of heaven now. But that doesn't mean we won't experience hard times. And this is exactly the place that the disciples found themselves in after Jesus' death. They were huddled together. They were scared for their lives, desperately sad, because their best friend their king, the one who was supposed to change everything, was killed. Their future is shattered in front of their eyes. And most of us can relate to that. We put our hope in God, 
not in our circumstances, because God uses the hard stuff in our lives to shape who we are. See, it takes great strength and courage to turn towards grief and loss. It's a way that God develops a depth in us and a capacity in us to hold more life. God gives us a greater revelation of himself in difficult times. And if we allow it, we become softer, more compassionate towards ourselves and others, and we become truly alive. And that's what we see take place in the lives of the disciples. They sat together in a room and they were grieving and reflecting on everything that they had experienced with Jesus, replaying in their minds his teachings, the miracles they saw. And as they wrestled out their current reality, they were working out their faith. And then later, they received the gift of the Holy Spirit And it launches them into this whole new way of life, confident of the hope they have in God through Jesus because of the resurrection. And that hope, that hope is our hope. And that is the hope in which we are called to live out our lives. But if we want this abundant life of hope, we need to allow God to first awaken us to our calling. In Paul's prayer to the Ephesians, he's telling them that this hope is part of a calling as a follower of Jesus. And I will never forget the first time I read this passage and God spoke to me through it, especially with this part about the calling. See, I'd found myself in a season where I was deeply heartbroken I had set down my dreams, moved away from a community that I deeply loved, and everything was blanketed by postpartum depression. I was swallowed by hopelessness. And as I was swallowed by my hopelessness, I yelled at God, God, don't you care? Don't you see that I'm in pain? Do something, change something. And I was met with silence over and over again. And I began to wrestle with what I thought I knew to be true about God. And I came to a point in my faith where I realized I was either in or I was out. And if I was out, I had nothing. Like I could do what I want, when I wanted, how I wanted, but I knew that this was just a false sense of freedom. And if I was in, then what? My current reality was it. Broken, angry, empty, hopeless. And that's when I found this passage in Ephesians. And as I read it, the calling of hope spoke to me. It wasn't about where I was, It was about who I was to God. And if God is truly everything scripture describes him to be, I still had hope. I was called to hope. And this calling was going to be the thing that moved me forward even if I couldn't see past the next 24 hours into my future. See, a calling 
is a strong urge towards a particular way of life. And when we are called by God, it is a divine path forward into a particular way of life, moving us forward no matter what tomorrow looks like. Think about it. While the disciples sat together, grieving a great loss, the women did what they knew to do next. They stayed committed to their call. They worked through the night because they had to wait for the Sabbath to end. They worked through the night preparing spices for a ceremonial burying for Jesus' body. And then in the morning, they headed to the tomb. They didn't even know how they were going to open the tomb. They didn't even know how they were going to get in there. But they knew that this is what they were supposed to do. And they remained faithful to their call anyway. Our divine calling moves us forward as hope shines its light in the darkest of places. And it's not just for us. It's for the world to see. Sure, I was still angry some days. But when I opted in, I gave my yes to the calling, saying that even on the difficult days, I trusted that God was going to move me towards a better future. And there were many days that I had to remind myself of that. But as I committed to this calling of hope, people around me began to notice. They noticed a difference. I began to notice a difference, honestly. I could laugh more. I could have fun again. And some days were easy and others were hard, but I knew that this calling was going to lead me towards an abundant life of hope. And that is available for us this morning. That is our prayer. That the eyes of our heart may be enlightened in order to know the hope to which we are called that we would truly see and understand this calling of hope marked on our lives as followers of Jesus. But Paul's prayer doesn't just stop with an awakening to a great calling. In order to know the hope to which we are called, we must know the richness of God's love. Paul calls it the richness of God's glorious inheritance in the saints. And what he's saying is that the ultimate prize for God in all of this is us. He gets us because he loves us. And if you turn that around and look at what we're receiving as God's inheritance, it shows us the incredible value that we are as his children. Have you ever seen... The Antique Roadshow? Yes? Okay, if you old or not. Yes? So I, one of my favorite parts about that show is someone will bring something in that they thought was like trash. They're like, this old thing, I found it in Aunt Betty's attic covered in dust. And then the host of the show will look at it and be like, wow, do you even realize what you have? And they tell them this story about what this thing was. And then they say, this is worth like $10,000. And then the person that brought it is like, oh my gosh, I'm never going to let this thing out of my sight again. See, us 
finding out that God sending his son Jesus to die for us should spark a response in us like finding out we're worth a gazillion dollars. But it doesn't always do that. Maybe think about it this way. The Bible tells this story called a parable. And it's about the value of the kingdom of God, the value of life with him. Here's what it says in Matthew. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Jesus is saying that for us as humans, his kingdom is so valuable that we should be happy to give up everything for it. And if we flip that around, what we see is Jesus was willing to go first. He was willing to give up everything for his pearl, us. It's you. It's me. What would our lives look like if we fully believed this to be true, to build a life of hope on this truth. But our eyes need to be opened. We need to see how valuable we are to God, the true depth of his love for us. But how do we begin to see it? How do we begin to understand it? For some of us, we will have like a powerful encounter with God, sort of like this aha moment where the Holy Spirit meets us and we just kind of like get it. We get this understanding of God's love for us. But for others of us, it might look a little bit different. The other day, I asked my son, I said, hey, how do you know that I love you? And he responded pretty quickly with, because you tell me all the time. And I laughed and I was like, oh yeah, I kind of do tell you that all the time. It's because I just love you so much, I can't help it, I gotta tell you. God is speaking his love over us all the time. As the morning sun rises to a fresh day, as the night sky paints a beautiful sunset, hearing birds singing as spring makes its painfully slow entrance as we laugh with our favorite people. These are moments where we are experiencing the love of God over us, but just like my son hearing me say, I love you all the time, we can easily grow used to hearing th these things and they become nothing but background noise. And that's when we need to make an effort on our part to seek out and bring awareness to God's love for us. See, I don't, I don't only tell my son that I love him all the time. I do things for him. I pack him lunches. I read him every Minecraft book he can possibly get his hands on because I obviously love Minecraft as much as he does. I set up play dates for him. And we can find examples like this in our own lives, especially when we look in scripture. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
There's a, a passage in Psalm that I love, and it always reminds me, it brings my awareness to God's love for me. In Psalm 103, it says, Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things. But we can also do things like spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines to help us recognize God's love for us. We can practice slowing down, rest, Sabbath, silence and solitude, fasting. We can become more aware of God's love for us at any moment. But it's easy for us to forget about that love especially when seriously bad things happen like death, divorce, bankruptcy, betrayal. It can make it easy for us to lose hope, to lose sight of God's love for us, but not if we base our hope on the truth that God would have gone to the cross, Jesus would have gone to the cross just for you, just for me. He loves us that much. And for us as a church, this season may make it easy to lose hope, to question the future. But not if we base our hope on the truth that Jesus loves his church. He loves his church because we are the church. This is the idea of Christian inheritance, Christian wealth. Do you realize you can go to church? You can go to this church, you can go to any church and never understand how wealthy you really are. Because of God's love for us, sending Jesus to pay the ultimate sacrifice, we now have access to God himself. That means you personally can hear from God. You personally can get wisdom from the creator of the universe. Maybe you feel stuck in your job. Maybe you feel like you're at a dead end, unsure of what to do next. You can ask God for help. Scripture tells us, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. This is Christian wealth. Having access to God himself means you also have access to his resources, like peace and grace and forgiveness, even tangible things. There was a time where my husband and I were wanting to start planning uh, for a family and buy our first house, and there was a neighborhood that I really loved to walk around. And once in a while when I'd walk around the neighborhood, I would just pray a simple little prayer, God, would you just set us up in a neighborhood that's like this one? And I completely forgot that I had prayed that, and we bought our first house in that exact neighborhood because God can meet us in tangible ways. When our lives seem so pointless, so boring, so mundane, we can feel far away from a life of hope, but not if we remember and experience the truth that God wants to take our hands and walk through life with us. He wants to welcome us into his family because he loves us and has a hopeful future for us. But now it's one thing to be wealthy, 
but it's another thing to experience the power of your wealth. And that's the next thing that Paul prays for. That God's people would have their eyes opened to the power of those who believe. And we read that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. In the book of Romans, we're told that the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. And this is the kind of power that Paul experienced in his own life. Not only had he experienced a powerful moment of healing, but he brought that same powerful healing into the lives of so many other people. How are we welcoming that kind of power into our lives today? Here at the Vineyard, we talk about a phrase that we use. Can I pray for you right now? This is a way that we bring God's power into immediate moments that we find ourselves in. This summer, I found myself in one of these moments where I was getting coffee with a friend and we were sitting out on like th this little patio and we heard this smack, really loud smack. And we turned and looked and there had been a man riding an electric, one of those electric scooters, you know, they like go like 30, 40 miles an hour. So he was riding this scooter and there was, there happened to be a sign in the middle of the road, seems silly, but it, there was a sign in the middle of the road. He hit the sign, flew over the scooter and landed face down on the street and was knocked unconscious. And so I look over, get up, run over, call, have someone call 911, put people out in the street so I don't get run over. And I'm talking to the 911 dispatch and we're get, going through all of the, their questions. And then they say, okay, the ambulance will be there in about three minutes, just wait. And so I'm sitting there, staring at this man unconscious in the road. I'm like, just wait? There's nothing I can do for him? I'm like, no, there is something I can do for him. So I gently set my hand on his back and I said, Holy Spirit, come. May today not ruin the rest of this man's life. Would you bring your powerful healing over his body right now? And then the ambulance showed up and I went back to my coffee. <laughs> I wish I could say this guy just jumped up in that moment and was like, thank you, I believe in Jesus now and he was like perfectly healed. But that's not what happened. But here's the thing, I know God met him in that moment. Even if I never hear how it ended. Because I carry the power of God wherever I go and so do you. In fact, our entire vineyard movement is based on the reality of this that we bring God's power with us wherever we go. John Wimber, who's the founder of our movement, his son was dying from a bee sting. He was going into anaphylactic shock, and he knew he couldn't get medical help to him fast enough. And so in a moment of crisis, in a moment of panic, he started praying, and as he prayed for the Holy Spirit to come, his son's swelling went down, his breathing returned to normal, and he was completely healed in that moment. 
If we want to see and experience that kind of power in our lives, we have to become expectant. When we show up at church, when we show up at work, when we go to family gatherings, yes, today, while you're eating cheesy potatoes and ham, God's power can show up. When our kids or our grandkids get hurt on the playground or their feelings get hurt by a friend, we can bring the power and the presence of God into those moments. Hey, kids, you can bring the power of God into any moment. When your parents are driving a car and they start complaining about all the other bad drivers around them, kids, you can pray for your parents to experience the power of God for patience in that moment. College students, if your roommate comes to you after a difficult breakup, you can bring the power and healing of God. When we have experienced this power, it sets us on a whole new trajectory of life. See, Easter is so much more than an important day in history, where we take a second to just polish up our faith, the resurrection of Jesus marks the beginning of a new life that we get to live abundantly hopeful day after day. And I think for some of us, Easter really does help capture the idea of fresh hopefulness. For me, growing up as a kid, Easter was always a special time at my house. There was like this buzz of excitement. My mom worked every single holiday except for Easter. So waking up on Easter morning, there was like this anticipation that the day would be filled with all of my favorite people, all of my loved ones. That later we'd have family gatherings and delicious food and after church, I would get to play with my favorite cousins. And we'd also wake up on Easter morning to baskets hiding around the house, filled with treats and toys, and the toys were typically like kites and sidewalk chalk and bubbles. And my brothers and I, we would give up pop for Lent almost every single year. I don't know, that's probably like a good kid thing. And so in our Easter basket, with all of the toys, would be all of these treats and like a glass bottle of fancy pop. And so in a matter of 15 minutes of waking up, we'd be slamming pop and filling our mouths full of candy and jelly beans, eager for the morning sun to warm up the day so we could play outside with our new spring toys. But greater than a mouthful of jelly beans at 7 a.m., Easter was time with my mom and all of my loved ones together as a family. In the same way, God is wanting to gather all of us together as his family because he loves us. And as kids running with anticipation to find an Easter basket in treats, that is the way that God wants to see each of us experiencing him, his love, and his calling for us towards this abundant life of hope. And as we experience some of those moments today, the excitement and the joy and the fun that Easter can bring, let's allow those moments to direct us towards remembering that this day is an invitation to a lifetime of abundant hope because of the death and resurrection of Jesus if we allow God to open our eyes to it. 
So that's what I want to do next. I would love to have you stand. We're going to step into what we call ministry time. And so here at the Vineyard, every single Sunday, we believe it is important to create space for us to experience the power and the presence of Jesus. And so after a, after a message, we take time to get prayer from one another. And so that's what we're going to do next. And so I'm just going to invite you, if you would like, if you're comfortable, you can close your eyes, you can open your hands, and I'm just going to begin to pray for us that God would open the eyes of our heart. <clears throat> and so this morning, <clears throat> maybe hearing about this life with Jesus is something that you've never heard about before. You've heard about it before, but you were a little bit skeptical about it. But you kind of want in. You kind of want into this life with Jesus. And so if that's you this morning, I'm going to invite you to raise your hand if you want in in this life with Jesus. And raising your hand isn't, isn't for anyone else in the room. It's simply for you. It's for you to have a moment between you and Jesus where when life gets difficult in, in a little while, because we all experience difficult seasons, you're going to be able to look back and say, I know I gave my life to Jesus because I raised my hand Easter morning 2023. And so if you're here this morning, you want to give your life to Jesus for the first time, I'm just going to invite you to lift your hand up. And then there's others, others of us this morning that find ourselves in, in, where we like, have, have met that place where I don't know if I'm in anymore. I don't know if I'm in. And you're at that point like I was where you're either in or you're out. And if you're going to choose this morning to be in, I'm going to invite you to lift your hand up and the Holy Spirit is going to meet you. Saying that you're in, I am in no matter what because of this life I get to have with Jesus. And then for others of us, maybe you've given your life to Jesus a hundred times but you are way off track. That's okay. You're still welcome back in. If that's you this morning, I'm going to invite you to raise your hand, saying yes to Jesus. I want in. And kids, kids this morning, that story that we listened to first thing about God creating this perfect place for us, God sees you. He loves you. And Jesus wants to be friends with you for the rest of your life. And so if you are a kid here this morning and you want to be forever friends with Jesus, I want you to raise your hand and say, yes, I want Jesus. And so if you are here this morning and you want in, I'm going to pray for you. So pray this along with me quietly. Jesus, I need you and I love you. And I know my life is empty without you. So would you come? Would you come into my life and would you lead the way? Thank you, Jesus. If you prayed that prayer this morning, we have a gift for you. There are packets as you walk out the doors. I want to encourage you to take one. 
Even if you didn't raise your hand and you're like, yeah, I'm totally gonna give my life to Jesus, I, I want a fresh start, grab one of those packets, there's a little card. We want to, we want to meet with you, we want, we want to walk with you. Following Jesus isn't meant to be done by yourself. And if you're a kid here this morning and you decided to give your life to Jesus, that is so amazing and we have a gift for you. Parents, you get to walk with your child as they explore their life with Jesus, and that is an incredible blessing. And if you would like to grab one of those, you can go to the Welcome Center. We have those there. So for others of us this morning, as we reflect on the resurrection of our Lord, you might be finding yourself in a difficult season with mental health stuff. Maybe you're experiencing physical pain you get a deposit of hope this morning. You can experience the power of God this morning through prayer. So let's begin to pray for that. Holy Spirit, would you come? Jesus, we need you, we want you, and we want to experience the power of your presence in our lives day after day. And some of us this morning are feeling heavy-hearted, we're heavy-hearted as we look to the future, as we look towards what the day brings. Would you meet us? Would you release healing over us? Would you give us fresh hope this morning? I'm gonna invite the ministry team to come forward. If you're trained to pray, you can come on up and offer prayer for anyone in need this morning. If there's anything that you would like prayer for this morning, we want to pray for you. We want to come alongside you in your own walk with Jesus. And so you have an opportunity to experience that power of Jesus this morning through prayer. So come on forward, and we're going to continue worshiping. Thanks for coming to the Vineyard.